The following podcast is brought to you by Eureka Lithium. Enjoy. This is the Commodity Culture Podcast, where we interview prominent investors, fund managers, analysts, and company CEOs to give you an edge when it comes to investing in the commodity space. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Commodity Culture, where our goal is to make you a better investor in the commodity space. My name is Jesse Day. Before we dive in, standard disclaimer, nothing here is investment advice. Do your own due diligence. And today's guest is the CEO of Eureka Lithium, the largest lithium-focused landowner in the northern third of Quebec, known as the Nunavik region with 100% ownership of three projects. Jeffrey Wilson, it's great to have you on the show. Jesse, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So I want to start with a broad overview of the lithium space itself, dive into some of the supply demand fundamentals, and then talk about Eureka Lithium a little bit later. So to start off with, talk to us about the current supply demand dynamics in place for the lithium market. How much demand is projected up ahead and how tight is the supply situation at present? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's, you know, it's much of a surprise to anybody listening that, uh, you know, there has been an increased um, demand for lithium as it relates to batteries and clean energy. And of course, you know, probably the most prominent being, you know, electric vehicles. Um, and so, you know, the the demand for uh, global supply already, you know, is, is, is sitting at uh, numbers that we cannot attain. And as, you know, governments and, and simply, you know, um, uh, consumer demand is, is driving uh, the projected uh, demand for that, you know, we're looking at numbers, you know, exceeding five, six, seven, ten times what the current demand is. Yet in terms of foreseeable supply, you know, there is a, there is a uh, significant deficit. You know, we may be able to double supply perhaps over the course of the next Eight to ten years is sort of what's being projected based on what's in front of us today, but the demand for uh, for lithium is projected to to far uh, surpass that in 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 between now and 2030. And so, yeah, we really see a concerning deficit uh, with no near term solution to uh, to fulfill that demand and generate that supply. And so that's where you know uh, exploration, bringing all the way down the food chain from from producing to uh, right down to, you know, boots on the ground exploration to try to go out and, and, and find new uh, discoveries and uh, potential new supplies of, of the commodity for, you know, this growing, exponentially growing demand that we envision. And for those trying to wrap their head around the lithium space, how does the market compare to other commodities in terms of volatility? Um, we obviously saw lithium carbonate prices go very high um, for some time before coming back down on the other end. Um, so I'm wondering, in terms of volatility and growth potential, how would you compare it to to other commodities and other metals? Yeah, I mean, it certainly was an explosive uh, period for lithium. Uh, the, the the price of lithium, say between 2021 and 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 the earlier parts of 2023, no question, it was uh, it was a substantial uh, increase in in value. Um, we've seen that level off. Uh, and, and I think, you know, we've seen that in the past with other commodities. We've, we saw that, let's say, in the early to mid 2000s with uranium, for example, you know, a, a really significant spike in, in the price of uranium back in the mid 2000s based off of fear of supply uh, deficits to, to meet demand. 
you know, there were a number of uh, nuclear reactors being proposed, etc., around the world, and there just wasn't enough foreseeable supply. And so the commodity price spiked. Now, there were some issues uh, that related to uh, to why uranium eventually sort of leveled off again. But we're seeing, again, this sort of perhaps uh, uh, this euphoric sort of run in, in the price of, of lithium, as I say, between 2021 and 23, and now leveling off. And what I what I like about that leveling off is that you know, if if the price of a commodity continues to, to to escalate and to go higher, it starts to create the need for alternatives. And eventually, the end users say, you know, this stuff is just becoming far too expensive for whatever our end use is, whether it's you know batteries or electric vehicle batteries or whatever it may be. And so that end user starts to look for alternatives. And so, seeing lithium now seeming to find a bit of a base and, and finding a bit of a, of a range here that it's been trading in for the last, you know, call it six or eight months, I think is actually net positive. Well, you know, you, you level off that sort of euphoria where this thing is, is going to the moon and you start to get into a price range, range where the end users can make long-term plans uh, for their bottom line and their budgeting and, and their cost expectations and be able to say, okay, we're going to, you know, focus our long-term growth on making sure that we, uh, implement you know lithium batteries as part of uh, our production and we can see that there is a stable price point there for the foreseeable future and that's actually net beneficial for the commodity so that it doesn't outprice itself into forcing end users to find alternatives and i think we're in that place right now with with lithium so we're also now seeing some ev manufacturers investing directly in lithium Back in the day, obviously, Henry Ford used to plant rubber and smelt his own steel, but we haven't seen that sort of direct investment activity by an auto manufacturer in like a century. So give us an overview of the investment in lithium by auto manufacturers and what it means for the industry. Yeah, I mean, we, we've certainly seen more, I think, uh, general conversation in, in the media uh, over the course of the last couple of years about that, probably spearheaded largely by the likes of Elon Musk and, and, and Tesla, who were among the first to really sort of showcase um, the need for supply for these materials in order to be able to produce their products. So, you know, we've seen Tesla looking to spend over a billion dollars in in the lithium space at various different stages of, of uh, sort of the supply chain. Uh, we've seen GM again being fairly aggressive with an investment of nearly uh, about three quarters of a million dollars, and uh, Stellantis, which is formerly Chrysler, has invested somewhere close to a hundred million dollars, or is investing somewhere close to a hundred million dollars as well into the lithium space. Uh, in order to generate or secure the necessary supply to make sure that they can fulfill their objectives in terms of, you know, the increased production of of electric vehicles. And again, what you see with that securing of that is there's also, you know, a secondary investment, which is investing into the process of building and manufacturing cars and making sure that, you know, this is a a, uh, a methodology that they plan to use for the foreseeable future well past 2030 and beyond. And so if you're going to build um, uh, factories and, and, and production lines that are going to utilize uh, this um, commodity as, as its source of power and energy, you want to make sure that you don't run in a, in a shortfall in supply. So they're, they're going very far down the food chain, investing in not only production and, and mining of lithium, but right down to junior companies, small companies such as Eureka Lithium, that are out looking for uh, the commodity and to make sure that there is a, a stream 
for the foreseeable future of, of supply and trying to, as we mentioned at the beginning, satisfy that, that growing demand. So you mentioned earlier that when prices get high enough for a sustained amount of time, people start looking for alternatives or substitutions for a particular commodity. So I'm wondering, are there any notable substitutions at present for lithium out there? I've been reading reports lately about sodium ion batteries. Could those eventually displace traditional lithium ion batteries? You know, there's no question that research and development is an, is an ongoing process, and, and there's always going to be new technologies and, and emerging um, methodologies. I, I think that uh, what, we've, what we've experienced so far is that there's very little that really evidences that it has the same kinds of uh, holding power or capacity as what we're seeing in uh, lithium-ion batteries. Um, you know, you've got aspects related to weight and 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 and, and various other uh, aspects that that can really dictate whether or not something truly can sort of trump the existing uh, technology. And what you also get, you know, un, you know, good, bad, or indifferent is, you know, many of the end users have to, as I mentioned earlier, they have to make long-term projections for their manufacturing, um, whether that's the systems they have in their factories or or, or whatever it may be. And so sometimes those things, you know, when they hedge on a bet, you know, you, you're sort of like turning a, turning the Titanic a little bit to get them to, to move over to a new technology. Quite frankly, the process of going, you know, look, let's look at automakers, the process of going from, um, you know, it, into electric vehicles uh, en masse has still been a fairly slow process. And so, you know, I think that's because there's quite a transition for the uh, for the manufacturing of, of vehicles uh, to make that change, and so yes, there are alternatives, and there could be emerging alternatives, and you know that that emerge. But I think that in terms of you know where automakers are hitching their wagons, so to speak, is largely going to be based on lithium-ion batteries. Well, let's pivot to Eureka Lithium and discuss it specifically now. For those unfamiliar with the company, could you give us the ten thousand foot overview? Yeah, so Eureka Lithium is a relatively newly established lithium-focused exploration company. Um, we are focused, as you mentioned earlier, in the northern part of the province of Quebec in Canada. Uh, this is an area that has mining history. Uh, there's been some uh, very successful producing nickel mines in the region. You know, with that, you get you know access to airstrips and deep sea ports and sort of an infrastructure for mining and an understanding from the local communities of mining. So we think we're in a, a mining friendly region, if you will. Uh, the Quebec government has been very friendly to, to mining uh, historically. And the company was established on the back of uh, prospects that were identified, land packages, property prospects that were identified by uh, a very well-known and renowned prospector who kind of came to us as a company as we were looking to uh, embark on a new chapter for for Eureka, and uh, brought to us this land package, a very large land package of early stage, underexplored, but highly prospective land packages uh, that we believe have the potential to host meaningful deposits of lithium. And so we've been focused on that solely over the course of the last 12 to 18 months and uh, building our business around exploring and, and looking, seeking for discovery on these significant land packages. You touched there on some of your initial reasoning for exploring for lithium in Nunavik specifically. Is there any more color you could uh, give us on the region itself, its mining history, why you chose it? Um, and you mentioned the government supportive, maybe discuss uh, your relationship with the local government 
and anything else you think is significant about that particular region? Yeah, I mean, part of the reason we're there, uh, you know, quite frankly, is uh, is Sean Ryan, who is who is the prospector who uh, identified the opportunity. Now, Sean's a, a, a gentleman who had significant success in the gold space uh, in places like the Yukon and, and in Newfoundland in Canada. Uh, you know, conceptual early stage ideas that over time became substantial discoveries and quite frankly, you know, have become meaningful deposits and, and in some cases mines. Sean uh, identified that in northern Quebec, in this Nunavik region, there had been historic government surveying uh, throughout the entire province. And yes, there is a lot of activity in a, in a more southern region of Quebec, in James Bay, for example, there's a lot of exploration activity, there's some existing deposits and mining operations. Uh, but if you want to pick up a piece of ground in that very active, crowded space in Quebec, uh, it's tough because, um, you know, there's only so much ground to pick up that's perspective. Sean took, you know, the helicopter view and, and took a look at what, what, what the affinities, geological affinities were up north and, and recognized that they'd largely been overlooked. And, and the real primary driver for that was this government survey, as I mentioned, where the government did uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of samples throughout the entire province of lake bottom sediment sampling. And the reports indicated that the highest concentrations of lithium readings in that survey were in the, the northern part of Quebec. And, uh, and when I say the highest readings, I'm talking about, you know, sample numbers that were in the 99.5 percentile of these hundreds of thousands of samples. And so, that really, and, and not only were there individual samples that were that high, there were clusters of samples in, in the same general locations uh, that ran that kind of uh, lithium reading. And so, you know, again, from a, from a, a helicopter view, Sean was able to say, well, look, there's something going on here, here, and here. These big land packages, uh, elevated uh, concentrations of lithium. And they're available for staking. And so we were able to go in and pick up that ground. Again, it goes beyond just some historic lithium samples. There's the right geological environment. There's the right structural environments. There's, you know, some slightly more technical aspects to it that that Sean and, and now our team are, are, are going through. But, you know, again, a, as a starting point, you, you know, you want to take the guidance of a proven uh, discovery uh, mine finder. And, and we have that in Sean. Uh, you want land that has a large amount of space because, again, this is a little bit like buying a lottery ticket. You want to have more tickets uh, to give yourself a better chance at winning. And, you know, by having large land packages, you can test multiple different areas within those land packages to start to vector toward where the source or the the hotspots of, of, of any lithium deposit may exist. So um, so we were able to do a deal with Sean whereby... Um, we acquired the ground that he had identified and staked. We didn't do so for cash. We brought in Sean as a significant shareholder. So he's got an equity position in Eureka, which is important. Uh, he, it wasn't a take the money and run thing for him. It was, all right, let's get behind this story. And and um, and so he's been, he stays on as an advisor. Uh, we've utilized an exploration crew that that comes through his recommendation and, and has worked closely with him in the past. So uh, that's a long answer for we think we've got highly prospective ground that's been identified with a very specific rationale behind it. And we think we've got the right people to do the necessary work to progress that to a discovery in the foreseeable future. Give us some more background on Sean Ryan, because he is a legendary prospector. 
and he's had an illustrious career thus far. Maybe you could give us some background, some further background on just what he's accomplished up until this point and why he decided to pivot his attention to lithium and how the whole deal came together between himself and Eureka Lithium. Yeah, I mean, Sean is is a very well known and renowned uh, prospector in our in our business, and and uh, you know I've known of his um, status and stature for a long time uh, without really knowing him personally for a long time. Uh, for you know, very successful uh, exploration campaigns, while well, identifying targets and then acquiring them, rolling them into companies, uh, and taking you know early stage conceptual ideas and systematically advancing those to discoveries. And in some cases, those discoveries by junior companies uh, has led to major companies coming in and saying, thank you very much. We'll take it from here and paying a hefty premium to, to market for all investors and shareholders to walk away you know, profitable uh, and, and, uh, and maybe still have a legacy exposure to the eventual mine. So that, that strategy of coming in early getting big land packages, putting in the, the the good science to try to make a discovery and then leveraging that into an exit strategy that makes all investors uh, uh, a return on their investment is the objective. And as I said, Sean's done that in the Yukon and that led to quite an extensive sort of staking rush in that area on the back of you know him being the first guy in, uh, people sort of scratching their head wondering what he's doing. And then on the back of success, everybody uh, comes piling in behind. We've seen that same sort of success with Sean in Newfoundland, uh, again, focusing on gold exploration in a part of Canada that had, you know, gone kind of sleepy in, in you know, in more recent times. And then partly through Sean's uh, entree back into that region, we, we saw quite an extensive sort of rush into Newfoundland over the last five years or so. And so uh, so he's certainly got that that track record and pedigree where people will pay attention and look at what he's going to do next. And we're seeing that already with Eureka and some of the investor interest that we're getting. Um, but in terms of the pivot to lithium, that, you know, I think was driven largely by what we started this conversation talking about. The, you know, sort of the uh, obvious shortfall in supply and, and, and uh, limited, sorry, yeah, supply and, and, and increasing demand and trying to identify a place where he could uh, sort of duplicate his gold success in, in an emerging new uh, commodity market. Well, one of the most interesting things to me when I was looking into Eureka Lithium was the fact that you have some heavy hitters right next door to your property in the form of cobalt metals. This is a company whose investors include Bill Gates, Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos, among others. What is cobalt metals and what are they doing in Nunavik? Yeah, well, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's wonderful to have neighbors like that. Uh, certainly helps to draw a little bit more attention to uh, to what we're doing. And uh, again, I think that this concept of potential sort of area play emerging is is uh, there's poten- potential for that to happen here in Nunavut. And uh, by having you know a couple of early adopters in there doing work, if you know that includes cobalt, if there is some, and, and Eureka, if there is some success to come from that. I, I think you will start to see others uh, follow suit and we may see a little bit more activity in the region. Uh, what is Cobalt? They are a private company that has raised several hundred million dollars over the course of the last few years. Their focus is to identify, you know, explore for, identify uh, critical metals, battery metals, uh, lithium, cobalt, you know, and, and others 
They're looking at various parts of the world, uh, including some places in Africa, but a big focus of their attention is the Nunavik region uh, and looking there as, a, as an underexplored uh, prospective region to find these necessary metals that, that you know, Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates at all, you know, truly believe the world is going to need. And uh, so to have them next door, not only does it draw additional eyeballs, but I think, as I said earlier, you know, the, the, the end game often for junior exploration companies such as, as Eureka Lithium is we are explorers. We're very good at, you know, finding, making discoveries and make, ensuring that the company is financed uh, to continue on and do that. But we're not miners. And so at the end of the day, if you're going to have success as an exploration company, you have to be able to foresee a potential exit strategy. And the, the best exit strategy often is a buyout or a takeover from someone who's got deeper pockets and, and bigger, different capabilities than you, whether that's a major mining company or in a case like this, perhaps the likes of, of Cobalt Metals, who you know is definitely focused on identifying supply of these metals. And if we found it in sort of their backyard, um, you know, Given their financial capacity, there may be an opportunity to attract someone like Cobalt into this story. And from an investor standpoint, one of the things I like to point out is, you know, you can go and take a look at Cobalt and, and realize it's a wonderful story and a great opportunity, but it's private. So as, a, as an investor, you can't get any exposure to that. So if you want exposure to sort of the battery metal uh, exploration world that's going on in Nunavik, that's been sort of validated by the guys at Cobalt. Um, you can do so through publicly traded companies like Eureka Lithium. And what are the plans here in 2024 for Eureka Lithium and beyond? Um, your exploration activities and anything else you think investors should be paying attention to? Yeah, I mean, for for Eureka, 2023 was very much a, a setup uh, year, if you will. You know, we had uh, the, the company was relatively newly listed. Uh, we did the deal with Sean. Uh, we acquired 100% interest in the assets. We we followed that up, or or in tandem with that, we did a, a nearly an eight million dollar uh, private placement, raising raising capital to be able to do the work and move things forward. Um, we got through an initial sort of a first phase of boots on the ground on on the back of all of that um, towards sort of the tail end of the summer and into the tail end of last year. Results from that work are still coming in, but that was very much a broad brush initial program where we've got these big land packages. Uh, they're in separate parts of Nunavik. And so to get boots on the ground and, and adequately explore and prospect over those, um, really, I would call 2023 sort of a first pass at that. And we got some sniffs, we got some indications, we got some good supporting information of where we might want to go next. Um, and more information will come in over the course of the coming months that will really be a guiding light for what we do next. But 2024 is certainly setting up to be a much more uh, significant year for us in that that first phase of data will all be in hand. We'll be able to evaluate and review that data. That will dictate you know, what, what the initial programs are going to look like come the spring when we can get back up there and get active. Uh, I think that we'll do much more detailed work. We'll get a larger crew on the ground this, this year, uh, looking to vector towards drill targets. And my expectation is that we position ourselves to be able to drill one or more targets, hopefully several targets this year in 2024. And ultimately, drilling is sort of the ultimate atom, a, a, a acid test for finding out whether or not you're in the hunt for identifying a meaningful deposit. So that's really where the rubber hits the road for investors is, is drill programs. Um, in the interim, however, before we get you know very, very active in Nunavik in that northern region of Quebec, um, say come the spring, 
in the interim, because, you know, as a publicly traded company with investors, we don't want to go dormant for any you know, lengthy period of time. We've recently announced a letter of intent to uh, take a position in a in a project that's a little further south. That's got some historic uh, lithium values. Has seen some prior drilling, successful prior drilling, um, and was available for us to uh, acquire an option on acquiring 100% of that. That is because it's further south. It's it's road accessible. It's year round accessible. It's drill permitted. And um, if we can get this letter of intent uh, turned into a definitive agreement, we could be drilling there as early as January, February of 2024. So I envision, you know, a really aggressive uh, campaign of exploration work. That exploration work should generate significant news flow. Uh, and if we're fortunate enough to have some positive co- uh, catalysts that come out of that, you know, I think we could really have uh, uh, some significant um, growth over the course of the next 12 months. Great. Well, I'll put a link in the description below this video and podcast for people who want to learn more about Eureka Lithium. I'll put a link to the website as well as social media so people can keep up to date on the company. Thank you so much, Jeffrey, for joining us today and sharing your knowledge about both Eureka Lithium and the lithium industry. Thanks, Jesse. It's been my pleasure. Commodity Culture is a podcast that covers investing in commodities and natural resources. If you'd like to hear more, be sure to subscribe so you are always alerted of the latest episodes.